on episode 365 of the YLP podcast. It's been a couple of weeks away from the YLP Realm Studios, but yet I am back and ready to go to talk about the news that's fit for me to talk about. We're not going to be talking about any reviews or anything of that matter. The time has passed, but I hope you guys did enjoy the Memorial Day weekend triple threat. Hope it was good to you. And I don't even know what my win loss record is this at this very moment. I really don't, nor do I care. But what do I care about is what I have on the docket for y'all this week. As we know, as of, well, as of this recording yesterday, the Iron Sheik unfortunately left us. And more often than not, it came out of freaking nowhere. Let's be real. Three weeks after the passing of superstar Billy Graham, the Iron Sheik, has unfortunately passed away at the age of 81. We're going to talk about his career and a little bit of, uh, you know, what uh, wrestlers are saying and paying tribute to the Iron Sheik himself. Also, I got news on Seth Rollins, the now WWE World Heavyweight Champion. And thank you very much, WWE, for doing the right thing and giving Rollins the belt. Because if you get, never mind, we're not going to get into it right now. But there is news. Seth Rollins. And why, Seth Rollins says, the WWE World Heavyweight title is more than a work-rate belt and hopefully more than a participation trophy championship. Also, on the docket, well, some of y'all may know, may may not, depending on if you watched NJPW or not, Mercedes Monet did get injured in the finals of the NJP Strong Women's Championship Tournament, losing to Willow Nightingale in the process. But AEW did, according to thesportster.com, had significant talks with Mercedes Monet ahead of Forbidden Door. We're going to talk about that. Also, her injury and also what the original booking of the match between Nightingale and Monet was supposed to be. And of course, it is that time of the year. Dominion has passed. New Japan for wrestling. Dominion pay-per-view has passed. And that means we're on the road to the G1 Climax. And they have just announced this week the 32 participants talking, doing, competing in this year's tournament. I, of of course, happily get the honor of talking to y'all about the G1 Climax, and how much it actually means to me. This is a yearly tradition we do here on the YLP Podcast. If you are new to the squad, it is my favorite time of the year. Well, besides my birthday and Christmas and all that good stuff. But yes, G1 Climax participants have been announced, and I'm going to discuss every single one of them with you, what the G1 Climax means to me and what the history, as best as I humanly can, is all about. All of that and more because, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 365 of the YLP Podcast. Let's hit that intro. Let's get it started. And with that being said, let us begin. What is going on, folks? This is Mr. Fretz from the Fretzomania Podcast, and you are listening to the Stephen A. Smith of Wrestle Attic Radio Zach of the Young Lions Perspective, and unlike Stephen A., I'm here to tell you that we care. Once 
What's going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling With Issues Podcast here, and welcome to episode 365 of the YLP Podcast. So glad to have you guys here with me on this lovely Saturday, and I hope you're enjoying your day, your night, your afternoon, and your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast, and as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or opinions about today's episode or any of the other 364 episodes of the YLB podcast, do not hesitate to hit me up with a nice little voice message over at podcasters.spotify.com slash Young Lions Perspective and over at podcasters.spotify.com slash WrestleAddictRadio. You can also leave me a nice little email. You can send that to younglionsperspective at gmail.com. I'll give you the rest of the particulars at the end of today's episode. It is Saturday, June 10th, 2023. Hope you guys had an enjoyable 14 days. I know, like I said last week, I was not able to get an episode in for y'all. And uh, I figured this week, yes, I had to get back into the fold and do my thug thizzle for shizzle for y'all. And get back into the swing of things because, well, we are in a very, very big time of the year here. It is about to be summer in uh, just uh, 11 days' time, as of, uh, well, not at this recording, but uh, as of this particular episode, we are 11 days away from the beginning of summer, technically, but if you're coming from where I'm from, from New Jersey, we would have already started that about a week or so ago. So, anywho, doesn't matter. Summer's approaching, and it is a big time of the year, but before we get into the fun, we unfortunately have to say goodbye to one Iron Sheik. For those of you who may have missed it, um, this past Wednesday, Iron Sheik left us. Iron Sheik passed away at the age of 81, and I have the article pulled up from ESPN.com from Mark Raimondi. The Iron Sheik, a standout Greco-Roman wrestler from Iran, who gained global fame in professional wrestling with his 1980s rivalries against the likes of Hulk Hogan, died late Wednesday at the age of 81, according to his official Twitter account. The Sheik Who's, who's real name, and I'm a, if I butcher this, don't don't kill me. I know he's going to cuss me out in heaven Twitter anyway. Hossein Khosrow Ali Vaziri was a former WWF heavyweight champion and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2005. As a hated heel, he had legendary battles in the 1980s against Hogan, Bob Backlund, and Sergeant Slaughter. Vaziri beat Backlund for the WWF title in 1983, and one month later, Hogan defeated Vaziri in front of more than 20,000 at New York's Madison Square Garden to win the belt for the very first time. That match helped catapult Hulkamania into a phenomenon leading into the first WrestleMania one year later. Quote, With his larger-than-life persona, incredible charisma, and unparalleled in-ring skills, he captivated audiences around the globe, said the statement from his Twitter account. He was a trailblazer, breaking barriers and paving the way for a diverse range of wrestlers who followed in his footsteps. Before starting in professional wrestling, Vaziri was the bodyguard for the last Shah of Iran, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi. He was a Greco-Roman wrestler in his home country, nearly making the 1968 Olympic team. Vaziri then moved to the United States, where he won an AAU Greco-Roman wrestling championship at 180.5 pounds and became an assistant coach for the U.S. wrestling team, including its Olympic team in 72. Around that time, he broke into professional wrestling in Minnesota with AWA promoter Vern Gagne, under coach and catch wrestling legend Billy Robinson, hell of a fucking duo if I say so myself. Vaziri was given the character based on his Iranian heritage, inspired by the outset of the Iranian Revolution, and he leaned into it, shaving his head, growing a handlebar mustache, and wearing shoes curled at the toes. 
which went to be which went on to be an iconic look. Xavier Woods, Xavier Woods copied them shoes a couple years ago. May I add? He joined the WWF for the first time in 1979, winning Madison Square Garden's first Battle Royal match and having manship matches with the likes of Bruno San Martino and Chief Dre J. Strongbow. After dropping the WWF title to Hogan in 84, Vaziri had a memorable host of matches with Sergeant Slaughter, a U.S. military-based character. The feud played off the real tensions of the between the U.S. and Vaziri's Iranian homeland. Vaziri and Slaughter had a violent, bloody boot camp match in June 1984 at Madison Square Garden that was highly acclaimed and still holds up today. In recent years, Vaziri developed a cult fan following on Twitter, even from people who never watched his legendary battles inside the squared circle. Vaziri is survived by his wife, Carol, to whom he was married for 47 years, his children, Tanya and Nikki, and his son-in-law, Eddie, according to his Twitter account. Quote, Beyond the glitz and glamour of the squared circle, the Iron Sheik was a man of immense passion and dedication. The Twitter statement read, he, uh, it goes on to say, he embodied re- resilience. He overcame countless challenges in his life, both inside and outside the wrestling ring. His journey from a small village in Iran to becoming one of the most recognized figures in the world of wrestling is a testament to his unwavering dedication, end quote. I mean, WWE posted something. I believe AEW had posted something. Uh, on Wednesday, I think The Rock, yeah, The Rock uh, had, had a video. I'm not going to play it, though. Let's see, Ric Flair uh, saying, my dear friend, Kazuro Vaziri, we started wrestling together in 72. It seems like so long ago. We crossed paths so many times over the years, and you were always so entertaining. The greatest line you ever said to me in 72, if I had your hair, I would be with Elizabeth Taylor. Heh. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually going to play the video, uh, see what The Rock had said about this. And we lost a pro wrestling legend today. And we lost a pro wrestling legend today, the Iron Sheik. And um, I just want to say, well, a few things. Most importantly, I want to send my my love and my support, my strength. Okay. And for some reason... My laptop want to act a fool for no effing reason, so... My light, uh, my mana, and my condolences to the Iron Sheik's family, who I consider Ohana. They are a family of ours, too, as well. Um, as uh, I think a few of you may know, I grew up calling the Iron Sheik Uncle Sheiky, and when my dad and the Iron Sheik used to wrestle together, not only in the WWE... But also before that, when uh, we were living in the Carolinas, in North Carolina, and my dad and the Iron Sheik were wrestling together there for the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, uh, Uncle Sheiky would come over to the house and, and his wife would babysit me. And I was about eight years old at that time, and I was a pain in the ass even then. So God bless that woman, his wife, Carol. Thank you, Carol, for putting up with all my shit as a kid. Um, I hope you guys are staying strong. And... Um, Again, I'm so sorry to hear the news, and and, and, I, and I will say this, as, as someone who has professional wrestling in his blood, and had it not been for the world of professional wrestling, I would not have the life that I have today, uh, because it was everything, and I am, my grandfather was in pro wrestling, my dad, my cousins, my grandmother, everybody, you name it, so as a man who loves professional wrestling, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the Iron Sheik and all of his accomplishments and of course with all there's so many Iron Sheik stories 
that are just classic and legendary, as legendary as the man himself. I'll share this really quickly with you guys. So when I first started as a rookie in the WWE, it was a WWF at that time. Uh, in the world of pro, there is no world like pro wrestling. And when you're a rookie, um, you better tie your boots up pretty fucking tight because um, that locker room is a tough one. And if you could survive it, uh, then you got a good shot at making it. So when I first came in to the WWE, uh, the Iron Sheik had pulled me aside because, again, uh, you know, he was family. And he said, Baba, let me tell you something. He said, um, he had this great accent. He said, you come into the locker room, you sit down, you shut your mouth, you don't say anything, and you just watch and you learn. And then, he said, and then you understand who the good people and who the jabronis. <laughs> and then, by the way, as simplistic as that sounded, it was true. I sat there every night in the locker room. I'd shut my mouth and I'd just watch and I'd learn. And of course, a couple of years later, when I became The Rock, I borrowed the term jabroni, you know. And The Rock says, you jabroni, shut your mouth and know your role. Oh, I used that word, that jabroni. And by the way, jabroni became a fixture in lexicon. I believe it's in the Webster's Dictionary now. And they give me credit for it. No, no, no. The truth is, all the credit goes to the Iron Sheik, because that was his word, he used it. I just happened to come along and, you know, start saying it in my promos. You jabronis! Uh, but Iron Sheik, thank you. Uh, thank you for the memories. Um, and, um, and perhaps more importantly, thank you for paving the way for guys like me who, um, who love pro wrestling. So thank you, Iron Sheik, for the memories. You are a legend. You will be missed, but never forgotten. So just in case y'all forgot who actually came up with Jabroni, it was actually the Iron Sheik. Personally, I did not know that either, so that's just uh, something I'm learning as well. Which is pretty freaking awesome if I say so myself. So, the, he, yeah, so The Rock is the... Iron Sheik is the reason we have Jabroni today, which is great. Um, see here, what else? Uh, I know Mick Foley, yeah, Mick Foley uh, saying the wrestling world lost a true legend today. The passing of Khosrow Vaziri, better known to fans across the globe as the Iron Sheik. Although I never got to know Sheik well, I was fortunate to have been on hand for two of his most iconic moments. Oh, well, okay. I know I know. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter definitely big time. Um, let's see here. If I can see it. All right, well, yeah, it's going to take me to his Twitter. Doo-doo-doo. Yeah, my laptop is on one today for no reason at all. And it shouldn't be. I charged it. Sheesh. Yeah, two, yeah, he was on hand for two of his most, most iconic matches. Uh, the title, title victory over Bob Backlund in 83. And his boot camp match with Sergeant Slaughter at MSG in 84. I also had the honor of wrestling the Iron Sheik for the first and only time on a tour of Dominica in 87. Because Gosro Vaziri was truly one of a kind. I send my deepest condolences to his family, friends, and those who deeply loved him. And honestly, he was beloved, man. He was beloved by all. I mean, the man, I mean, Jake the Snake saying RIP to my old friend, the Iron Sheik, a true icon and someone who left a mark on wrestling and that can never be erased. Another great one gone. Triple H, the legend and all-time great performer and WWE Hall of Famer who brought his character to life and transcended our business. My condolences to the Iron Sheik's family, friends, and fans. Gulak coming out. Drew Gulak. You know... 
What a legend. Condolences to his friends and family. Anytime I get to see or use Persian meals for a workout, I think of the Iron Sheik. He was a great performer. Wrestlers should continue to study his body of work. Uh, AEW posted some things. But yeah, I mean, to me personally, I never got to she never got to see the Iron Sheik perform live or anything of that matter. But the Iron Sheik is um in me, at least personally, uh, all time is top five heels for me because of the fact that he took a character and turned it into one of the most iconic heels in the history of the business. Um, there was none like him. And there will be never, never be another one like the Iron Sheik. I mean, he was just, I mean, his Twitter alone is the stuff of legend. He would shit on anybody that, that could get it. Legendary shitting on Caillou. If you've never seen the Caillou tweet, uh, look that up real quick. Um, Iron Sheik Caillou tweet. Legendary stuff. But he was, uh, he is a legend of the business. He will always be a legend of this business. Um, a true legend of the game. Beloved by all, um, millions of people around the world. Uh, and Drew Grulak is right. Everybody should, if you were, uh, if you were going to com- be competing in this business, I mean, I just talk about the business, but he still has a great impact on all of us. I mean, like I said, he was a true, he, a true character of the game. One of the best heels to ever do it in w- in the old school version of WWE. And I, I mean, like I said, I never seen him fully compete. Um, I've actually, Personally, never seen any of his matches, um, which kind of should be uh, a knock on me just for a tad bit because of the fact that, you know, I am a student of the game and it kind of, you know, it's kind of especially I kind of want to see that boot camp match now between him and Slaughter. I know. Um, yeah, I want to actually look at his accomplishments real quick before we uh, head to break, because I know he he didn't he wasn't always like the best in the world, but I know that he's had some accomplishments in his career, of course. You know, why wouldn't he? I mean, he had the I mean he gave us the Campbell clutch. Alright, we got that hard. So uh Rick Steiner will link him up and down for that. Let me see here. Check out his Wikipedia. Yeah, besides the fact that he you know he almost uh got a uh got a spot in the freaking, you know, for the sixty eight Olympics, that's a big deal. Coached uh, two Olympic teams in the seventies, you know, won a cha- won an AAU championship in the early seventies, which was fantastic. Being taught, you know, by was invited to become a wrestler by Vern Gagne, trained under Billy Robinson in the same class as Ric Flair. All right, also worked as a trainer and taught Steamboat, Greg Gagne, and Jim Brunzel. You know, and wrestlers have faced. Wrestled as a face in the beginning of his career, you know, um, insane, insane, dude. I mean, wrestling in WWF, Jim Crockett promotions. We see here, you know, competed for the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship, won it in uh, 80, defended it against Renzel, Sweet Ebony Diamond, Johnny Weaver lost it to a steamboat in uh, November of that year. You know, competed against Blackjack Mulligan, cage matches, Texas street fights, went into Mid-South Wrestling, Championship Wrestling from Florida, uh, finally became World Heavyweight Champion in 83, lost it, of course, at 84, teamed up with Volkov, you know, won the, of course, uh, the classic, uh, won the tab- tag titles from the U.S. Uh, Express, the team of uh, Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo. I mean, he's then, let me see. 
unfortunately got arrested um, by a Jersey State Police. Uh, was suspected of a well, Duggan was suspected of a DUI. Um, Duggan was under the influence of marijuana. Sheik was high on cocaine. Lord, God bless. Um, yeah, you see, also worked in WCCW, AWA, WWC. World Championship Wrestling he competed in. I, I returned, returned back in 91. Re-debut, uh, re-debuted as Colonel Mustafa, by the way. Joining Sergeant Slaughter and uh, General Adnan, for those of y'all who do not who do know about that whole ordeal. Um, and of course, uh, made appearances in from between 96 and 2023. You know, he did a lot for he did a lot for this business. Excuse me. Yeah, he, he did a lot for this business. He did so much for this business. I mean, still, one, I mean, I don't know if I said top five, but I will say definitely one of my top ten favorite heels of all time. If I didn't, if I said top five, he's definitely in the top five. But you know, he's definitely one of those characters that will never be able to replicate because you can't replicate that. A storied career, be you know, period. A well-deserved Hall of Fame ring in 05, which surprisingly was my junior year of high school, so I'm showing my age here just a tad bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think three weeks ago we were mourning the loss of superstar Billy Graham, and now three weeks later we're mourning the loss of the Iron Sheik. Um I don't like to be the one that say death comes in threes, but in terms of the, you know, in the, in the term, um, I don't want to find out who will be next or who will be the third for that matter. It's not going to be something I'm trying to uh, predict because if you if you are one of those people that have your you know, death bingo cards, you are a piece of shit. But, you know, I digress from that. Um, in, in, in conclusion, I will I will leave it the segment ending at this. Iron Sheet, Legend of the Game. One of the best to ever do it. He may not be in your top 10. He may not be in your top five, dead or alive. And that's perfectly okay. But when it comes to wrestlers, period, as fans, we do have an affinity for certain talent. Iron Sheik was one of those guys, at least for me. Man's went on Howard Stern and talked shit, okay? So, I mean, he, he clowned Hulk Hogan every chance he got. You know, he called Hulk Hogan a jabroni. So that always made, it, always made my day. He was a hell of a person on to follow on Twitter and he is going to be uh, sorely missed. He will be most definitely missed. And to Carol, Tanya, Nikki, Eddie, and the rest of the uh, Vaziri family uh, on behalf of WrestleMania radio, at least on, on, on my end, uh, we wish nothing but condolences, prayers, thoughts, and much love to the family. Um, and please do give them their privacy, as I always usually try to say on here when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, give them as much privacy as needed. If they want to speak out, let them speak out. If they don't want to, don't force the issue. But again, um, the Iron Sheik leaving us this past week at the age of 81. When we come back, we'll get to the uh, news of the week. It's not much news. Uh, just a, about... I think I've got four articles on tap this week, but um, yeah, Iron Sheik passing away at the age of 81. We'll be right back.
Hello everyone. I invite you to hold on to your butts every Tuesday as I, the impact player of WrestleLike Radio, Nate the effing great, take you on a journey with the Brace for Impact podcast where I talk about the events as well as the moments that really made wrestling an impactful and long-lasting sports throughout the years. Talking about TNA, Ring of Honor, WWE, maybe a little bit of AEW here, there as well. Every Tuesday, Nate the Effing Great, myself, will be covering all of that and more. Definitely tune into that every Tuesday for the Brace for Impact podcast on Russell Attic Radio, the cure for the common wrestling podcast. It's such good shit. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with episode 365 of the YLP podcast. And before I get into the news of the week, let me make sure I do my shameless plug and give you all the rundown of what goes down during the week with WrestleAddict Radio Tuesdays. Make sure y'all hold on tight and make sure y'all brace for impact. Brother Nate, Nate the effing great current reigning and defending MCW heavyweight champion. Yeah, I said it. What you gonna do about it? Nothing. Anyway, the man himself talking about all things Impact Wrestling. Of course, the glory days of Impact Wrestling back in the day. Make sure you check out the new season of Braceful Impact every single Tuesday. Wednesday nights will never be the same when you listen to the Kings of the Rings podcast, hosted by, of course, our esteemed general manager, King Ricky Rose. Will Tara Shook, a.k.a. Willie T, and the legend K. Motherfucking Murphy. Talking about pop culture, everything pro wrestling, and all that good stuff in between. If you don't catch it live on Wednesday nights, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific on YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter, you can check that out. The audio version on Thursday. Now, if you want to check out Wednesday night's uh, Kings of the Rings podcast on YouTube, K-O-T-R underscore podcast on both Twitter and Twitch. Fridays, kick off your weekend the only way we know how with the Fretzelmania podcast and Brother Fretz coming through with that ruthless aggression era of professional wrestling in WWE. If that's your thing, because it is mine, make sure you check out the brand new episode that just dropped yesterday. Unless it didn't, and then I'm lying. And other than that, we ain't gonna go there right now. But make sure you check out that WrestleMania podcast every single Friday. And of course, you got me on Saturday talking about all the news that's fit for me to talk about and everything else in between with the YLP podcast because it's Wrestle Addict Radio, the cure for the common wrestling podcast. Let us get into the news of the week, the show that talks about all the news that's fit for me to talk about within reason and doesn't get me uh, in any trouble whatsoever. And we'll begin our news over at thesportster.com. This is, of course, uh, for those of you who may not be up on New Japan Pro Wrestling, especially in the states that they have it right now. Yes, that is a thing. NJPW Strong. Um, yes, uh, you know, we do have a new women's champion. Her name is Willow Nightingale. But that is not the news that I'm talking about. Um, 
everybody knows Forbidden Door is going to be coming. It's coming up very, very soon. I believe June 25th, if I'm not mistaken. I believe Brother Fritz is actually going to be in the building uh, when Forbidden Door 2 goes down. So if you do see him in the crowd, I'm sure he'll be posting on Twitter. Tell him, us, tell him hello, take pictures, all that good stuff, and uh, show up and show out from the boy. Anyway, the sports service is reporting that AEW had significant talks with Mercedes Monet ahead of Forbidden Door. Now, uh, for those who didn't know or may have missed it, she did get injured in her matchup against Willow Nightingale. Let's talk about the article from Josh Coulson. AEW and NJPW will throw open the Forbidden Door later this month as the pay-per-view of the same name will be back for a second time. With only two matches announced for the show so far, Forbidden Door 2 is already looking like it's going to be a huge event. An event that could have been bigger if it wasn't for Mercedes Monet having a broken ankle. Monet is yet to show up in AEW, competing solely in New Japan since she appeared at Wrestle Kingdom to kick off 2023. However, an event on which both AEW and NJPW stars compete would have been the best place for Monet to technically make her AEW debut. Even though Tony Khan wouldn't comment on the possibility of that happening, apparently there were extensive talks between the two parties for regarding a Monet appearance at Forbidden Door. Despite Khan refusing to comment on whether he had spoken with Monet, Fightful has reported sources close to the AEW CEO have confirmed there were discussions about the woman formerly known as Sasha Banks appearing on the show. Whether that would have been a match or Monet simply showing up as she did at Wrestle Kingdom remains unclear. Now, as term, now in terms of the injury, Monet made it to the final of the tournament to crown the first NJPW Strong Women's Champion last month, losing to AEW's Willow Nightingale. It has been since it has since been claimed the plan was for Monet to win that match up until she was injured jumping from the apron. The result was changed on the fly, and now Nightingale is now champion, taking the title back to AEW with her. Even though Monet won't have heel in time to be a part of Forbidden Door, Nightingale winning a title that was meant for her means that there's a ready-made storyline in place for her to show up in AEW whenever she's ready. If Monale is healed up and ready to go by the end of August, a match at All In or shortly after at All Out would be a hell of a way for her to debut in AEW. Now, we all know injuries in professional wrestling suck. We all know it sucks. We hate it. We don't like it. It just sucks. We, we know it sucks. It sucks. It really, really sucks. I mean, especially when the original plan was for Monet to become the champion and then have to have it change on the fly because of an injury. A, very wonderful, smart move by uh, NGBW for getting that on the fly. Um, and we do wish for a speedy recovery for Mercedes Monet because she has had a hell of a year so far. Um, of course, showing up in NGPW, becoming the IWGP Women's Champion, defending it on numerous occasions, including a triple threat match. And now, unfortunately, well, losing the title to, um, is it, was it time to come out? Hold on. I want to get my, want to get my, uh, my, my facts straight on this, on the history. Cause I only know there's three, but I know she lost it to somebody. Mayu Iwatini. Okay. Iwatani. Yeah. That's who it was. Gotcha. 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 Was it, was it Iwatani? Uh, yeah. my yeah. Mayu Iwatani. Yep. And um, every and then competing for the NJPW Strong Women's Championship and was was supposed to win it and unfortunately, um, having to take the L because of a broken ankle, um, we do wish her a speedy recovery here in the YLP realm, and all that good stuff in between. So, 
as far as it goes, and uh, this article, I think, really pieced it together perfectly. The simple fact that now you have a ready-made storyline in place to show up in AEW whenever she's ready. She could basically say, well, the only reason you beat me is because I broke my ankle. You didn't beat me when I was a 100%. I'm coming for that ass all in, all out. I don't know how long it usually takes. It depends on the person in terms of a broken ankle. But if she's healed up and ready to go by the end of August, um, yeah, she's going to be there uh, for Labor Day weekend, at least. Either in London or at all out. Will it happen? We don't know. But I kind of figured and I had a good feeling that AEW was going to was talking to Mercedes Monet when Mercedes Monet left WWE. There were already rumors about her going to AEW immediately. And it's not a surprise. I mean, her, I mean, her and Trinity, you know, would have been huge waves in uh, AEW as Trinity is making waves for herself in Impact. And I'm glad she's doing that. And doing well for herself over there in the grand scheme of things. It makes me very, very happy uh, to see that. But also, at the same time, Mercedes Monet has been making a name for himself, herself, you know, killing it over in New Japan. You know, competing for the IWGP Women's Championship, winning said championship at Battle in the Valley against Kyrie, saying, um, well, Kyrie, uh, defending it in Japan, even thought about, you know, living in, moving to Japan and living in Japan and all that good stuff. And, you know, going to you know, school for, you know, learning Japanese, like, it's dope, like, to see that, um, unfortunately, injuries, you know, are a part of the game in terms of professional wrestling, we've all had our injuries, you know, in our life and whatnot, but, you know, it does stink, you know, knowing that she was going to become the first ever women's champion, but I know Willow Nightingale is no slouch, you know, she's a beast in the ring, she can go, and I believe she uh, just defended her championship for the first time against Emi Sakura, successful defense, and I think she's going to make that title fantastic, especially given the fact that she's going to be in AEW, in Ring of Honor, defending that championship, uh, defending it on NGPW shows, strong shows, of course. There, there's no reason as to why not. If this doesn't bring, this is going to bring Mercedes into AEW regardless. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Like this is this is very very freaking simple. Now, like, like the article said, like I said before, it's a ready-made storyline. It's like, okay, you, you, yeah, you know, you only beat me because I broke my ankle. Had that not happened, I'd be the champion right now, and I'd be running shit over an NJPW strong. So now you have that, not the out, but you had that ready-made, you know, debut to come in in place whenever she decides to show up. Because you know, if we know Monet, like we know Monet, she ain't gonna leave that title on the table. You know she's gonna want the, she's gonna want that uh, run that one back, and basically, you know, gun for the championship that she ne- in her mind she never lost because the only reason she lost because of, because she injured herself. It's right there, you know. In terms of the talks, it wouldn't surprise me if they were if they had been talking. It, it, of course, of course, I, I know Tony's not gonna say you know out loud that you know yeah Mer- yeah Mercedes and I have been in talks. To have her come through and join us at um, and Forbidden Door. I'm sure that was definitely the case up until the injury. A couple weeks ago. Or about a week or so ago. I'm not exactly sure which. But um, let's be honest here. I guarantee had it not been for the industry. industry injury. She would be getting ready to either. You know. Be an opponent for Tony Storm. For the uh, AEW Women's World Championship. Or compete. In a non-title match against Tony Storm, um, 
just one-on-one Monet Storm money match, a match that we, I, be, I believe that we didn't see really in WWE that we should have, but we ain't gonna talk about that right now. But you know, I'm guarantee. I guarantee. I think we all know for sure that there were talks. We all know that there were talks. We know that they were talking 100%. I wouldn't deny that one freaking bit. And um, yeah, I mean, heal up soon. You know, get well soon, um, Mercedes. And uh, yeah, rest up, the, rest up the ankle. Get the ankle right. And whenever you're getting ready to get back in the ring, I'm sure we all will be anticipating your return to the ring. Let's take our eyes uh, and ears over to WrestleZone.com. Santos Escobar, Triple H initially shot down idea of LWO Revival. This is from Colby Applegate. Santos Escobar wanted to revive the LWO when he first joined WWE. Since debuting on WWE NXT in 2020, Santos Escobar has been mostly associated with his faction Legado del Fantasma. That all changed right before WrestleMania 39 when Legado and Rey Mysterio aligned to form a new Latino World Order. During a recent interview with Ryan Satin out of, of out of character, Escobar revealed that Triple H initially turned down his pitch for the LWO revival, saying, quote, That was something I wanted since day one. So here's the thing. I've always thought that as a minority, we have to stay together somehow to present who we are, where we come from, and what we're about. If we present those three every time we go out there, eventually everyone will know what Lucha Libre is, who I am, where I come from, and all these rules and regulations and traditions that Lucha Libre has. So the very first conversation I had with Triple H, and he asked me, what do you want to do? I told him, can I bring back the LWO? Before I said the letter O, he said, no, I want you to be you, and I want people to see you and not think of anybody else. I want you to think of something else. You want a group? We can do a group, but write something down, think about it, give it to me, and we'll see. So that kind of shot down my initial desire, but Triple H was right. The time wasn't right. It wouldn't have been what it is right now. Also, I needed a very important ingredient, an OG, an original LWO member, and that's Ray. So that's why Legato came about, and it was beautiful. It gave me the opportunity to do everything I wanted to do, who I am, where I come from, what I'm about, and that's what I did every single time I was out there. Every promo, every backstage, every scene, every feud, every rivalry was letting people know that I'm all about Lucha Libre. That Lucha Libre is about tradition, heritage, culture, familia. All the values that you have, whether you're Mexican, Latino, or not, are the values I have. We relate. That's And that's how Legato got over. And that's how Santos really got really over on NXT, because everything I say, it's real. Of course, any of these are quotes in this article. Please credit, you know, Ryan Satin, and we don't really care. But you know what I'm talking about. Because I don't feel like getting sued. Anyway, and this is a really big deal because LWL now um, is a very now um, big stable in WWE as, of, as it is right now. And Triple H, I think, personally was correct in saying that it was too soon and maybe a little bit too much too soon for Legato. Not for Legato, for the L, for LWO in general. I mean, it's one thing to bring it back. And honestly, I'm glad they brought it back. But Triple H let them know, like, it's not the time yet. You know, I want you to do you. You want to if you want a stable, I got you. We can do that. But right now, in terms of that, not yet. 
And he was, and he was right. You know, the timing wasn't right. Now, Legato del Fantasma, in my opinion, actually was perfect because it brought not only Santos out as, you know, from under the uh, shadow of his father, El Hijo del Fantasma, but also brought in uh, Joaquin Wilde and Cruz del Toro, a.k.a. Raul Mendoza, but and brought those in and helped elevate those characters and help them become, you know, bigger names within the group. And, uh, of course, Electra Lopez, um, who sadly is not part of LWO at this very moment, Electra uh, staying down in NXT for the time being. She will be coming up hopefully, hopefully sometime in either this year or 2024. It has to be either way. Uh, but it made sense, I think, at the time for the LWO pitch to not be brought into the fold because, like, like Triple H told him, you know, I want you to be you. I want people to see who Santos Escobar is. Of course, former Cruiserweight champion, I believe, competed for the North American Championship, had a bangers as Cruiserweight champion in NXT. I mean, when, you think, when I think of Santos Escobar, I think of that NXT Cruiserweight Championship and how much they really fucked it up, Vince McMahon, talking to you. But it was better that way. It was better to build up Legato than to build up the LWO. Because I don't think, I don't think personally it would have gotten over in NXT as much as it would have in WWE. Let's keep it real with ourselves. And... Santos is right in saying that it needed a very important ingredient. It needed the, and one of the original members of LWL. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, actually, let me see if I can look up who was originally in LWL. Because I don't think now uh, either any of these are, members are alive or they're in. Um, do, 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 do. Let me see. WCW. There we go. Because that's 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 when I remember it. I remember because it, it was uh because I know Eddie was the one who started it. <laughs> I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. They actually had it as a mockery of the NWO, which honestly they're not wrong. But um and with the LWO and WCW, their kind of thing was that they were Latin superstars who were kind of look like who kind of felt that they were over being overlooked, you know, but it was a shoot. It was a full on shoot. Um, in 98, Eddie Guerrero wanted out. He was taken off of television, returned on October 5th and began forming the LWO, you know, which was crazy. If you think about it, but you look, look at the, look, think of the names who was on here, who was in the stable at the time, psychosis, La Parca, Hector Garza, Juventud Guerrero. And then Ray Mysterio refused to join the group. So he had a feud. So Eddie pretty much had a feud with Ray because of that. And it was forced to become a member after losing to Eddie Guerrero. Chava wasn't included in uh, the stable. Um, I believe he was on his mentally unstable kick at the time. But um, unfortunately, a car accident suffered by Guerrero ended the premature end of the LWO. And the two factions of the New World Order reunited. Um... It was crazy. And it didn't last long much, much after that. Uh, as far as I know right now, the only person that is that can say they're LWO for it, like right now is Ray. So it it definitely needed Ray in order to make that legit. It made sense, you know, for it to be waited on. You know, 
It's not to say it couldn't happen. It's not to say we couldn't make that happen in NXT, but I don't think it would have gotten over the way that it is right now. Because you, because think about that moment, right? Before WrestleMania. And that moment where everybody saw the t-shirts and that LWO on the t-shirt, how big that pop was. You know what I mean? It's more important now than if than if Santos actually initially tried to get it over in NXT. Because in NXT, that's not to say it would have gotten over, but I don't think many people would have understood what the Latino World Order actually meant to the history of professional wrestling. It was a stable that basically got off, off the ground. But an unfortunate accident caused it to cause the uh, stable's demise to happen a lot quicker uh, than it did, which is quite unfortunate. But, you know, but Triple H was right in this case. And sometimes, you know, you just got to do you do what you got to do and, you know, wait for that timing. The timing wasn't right. The timing was not right for LWO to come back yet, because I get and like I said. NXT casuals ain't going to ain't going to really, you know understand what lwo means we do if you're a you know a hardcore fan like myself but in terms of the overall look feel and everything else of lwo i don't think it would have gotten over as much in nxt as it now is getting over in wwe and my last bit of news before we get into talking about uh g1 climax john in the finale uh, in the main event segment of today's uh episode we head over to WrestlingInc.com. And why Seth Rollins says the WWE World Heavyweight title is more than a work rate belt. This is from Danny Wollstenholme. Seth freaking Rollins defeated AJ Styles at Night of Champions to become the inaugural World Heavyweight Champion. Thank you, WWE, for doing the, the uh, smart move. The new belt was established in t- April 2023, with it now being an additional men's world title in WWE. Rollins who successfully defended the gold against Damian Priest this past Monday night on WWE Raw, has spoken about the new championship and its introduction, saying, quote, I think just kind of calling it the work rate title is a little bit underselling it. Uh, Rollins said on the Mark Andrews My Love Letter to Wrestling podcast, so he goes on to say, at the end of the day, the title exists because our roster is so chock full of talent, right? There's just too much to have one champion that's not around very much. <laughs> And so, I think the fact that we have so many worthy contenders, people that could hold this championship, I think that is the reason the title exists. If we had a weak roster and things weren't good and stuff wasn't hot, it'd be a different story. It might be fine to just have one champ who wasn't around and didn't want to make live events, but that's not the case. We're selling out left and right. We're from he- we're hot from here to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, Paris, France, Mexico City, it doesn't matter. We're just selling out left and right. We need to have a world heavyweight champion on the men's side to represent that level of competition. And so I think we're going to put in the work to build this title to be as big as any championship in wrestling. And for those of you that may have missed it, Braun Breaker actually challenged Rollins to defend the world heavyweight championship against him during past Tuesday night's episode of NXT. And of course, give I'm definitely the credit where credit is due to Mark Andrews, um, one of my favorites. Unfortunately, uh, that's not in the company right now. Hopefully, he'll be back for NXT Europe when that goes down, hopefully, next year. Anywho, to say it is a work rate, now, I mean, y'all know I've been saying, I'll call in the World Heavyweight Championship, the Participation Trophy Championship, um, pretty much ever since the belt was introduced to the entire world. For the most part, 
if anyone can make the championship the championship that it needs to be, it's going to be Seth Rollins. 100%. Without question, um, he is going to make that championship look like a championship that deserves to be around the waist of a man like Seth Rollins. It's, it's dead ass. It, it's the truth. It, it's honestly the truth. And honestly, the World Heavyweight Championship only was introduced because of the fact that You know, sorry, I'm just looking up uh, some G1 Climax stuff for the next segment. Anywho, but let's be real. You know, the only person that deserved to hold that championship belt was Seth Rollins. There was no one else that deserved to hold that championship more than Seth Rollins was. Two years holding the championship, uh, you know, holding it down for the company. Come on now. Let's give it a stack. But that's the thing, though. That is the big thing is that, you know, it deserved to be around the waist of Seth Rollins. When you hold a brand down for two years without a championship there, yeah, it, you deserve to be World Heavyweight Champion. And I think he's going to, I think, and they have more than enough talent on Raw's roster to make that championship as credible as humanly possible. And that's being as real as it gets. That's being as real as it gets. I mean, look at the Ross, look at the raw roster now. I mean, he just defended it against Damian Priest. You got Finn Balor, you got Gunter, Drew, whenever he decides to turn heel. You have Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, you know, who else? like Am I really gonna forget the entire men's side of the raw roster? Like crazy? Weird. Anywho. Yeah. Yeah, I can look at the roster right now. Do, 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 Monday Night Raw, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, Apollo Crews maybe one day can hold the go, gun for the title. Bronson Reed, that'd be dope. Chad Gable, Cody Rhodes, maybe one day. Dexter Loomis, Damian, Dominic, Drew McIntyre, Finn Balor, Gunter, who I think, honestly, it should be the one to dethrone him in the first place. Uh, J.D. McDonough, Johnny Gargano, Kevin Owens, you know, who else we got? Matt Riddle can compete for it. Uh, Odyssey Jones, definitely not yet. Uh, Ricochet, maybe one of these days. You know, Sami Zayn. Shins, I think personally, Shinsuke and oh, Shinsuke Rollins feud would be bananas. I think that would be a very nice uh, summer feud for um, Mr. Rollins to hold down the club. One time, I think him. I think a Rollins Nakamura feud would be but would be amazing. That's just me, though. But I think if anyone can make the championship, the championship, it's going to be Seth Rollins. It's going to be Seth freaking Rollins. It's going to be the, it's going to be him. But the key here, as I said, with any you know new championship being introduced, a lengthy reign is in order. A very lengthy reign is in order. I think he should hold it until at least WrestleMania forty. I mean, granted, if Gunta decides to, you know, retain, you know, keep on retaining the championship. Um, I believe September 4th or September 6th will be the day he becomes the all-time, the, oh, or should I say the longest reign, longest intercontinental championship reign in WWE history. And he's going to break it because ain't going to be in any way. Ain't no way. Ain't no fucking way that they're not going to have him 
break that record. We talked about it a couple weeks ago on the podcast. They're looking to uh, shatter some records. Okay? They're looking to shatter some records. And if it looks like the Honky Tonk Man's, uh, you know, longest title reign is in jeopardy, because it is. So I think they're going to have him. So it's to come around the beginning of September. Uh, Gunter will break that record. Then at that point, do what you will with it. Jesus, take the wheel, build someone up. Maybe Bronson Reed takes the Intercontinental Championship away. That would be fire. And then, you know, begin the road for Gunter to become the WWE World Heavyweight Champion on Raw. That would be that would be the best case scenario. Just saying. But as far as it goes, I think Seth Rollins is the right man to hold that belt. But also, a very lengthy reign would be in order. A very lengthy reign would be in order. Also, have him hold that championship until WrestleMania 40 and have him lose it to Gunter, who should be the one to win next year's Royal Rumble. And I'm just spitballing off the top of my head right now. But that's the way I would honestly do it. Lengthy title reigns give credibility to the championship and the person holding the belt. Simple as that. It's that simple. As long as they keep it simple, stupid. Sky's the limit for the World Heavyweight Championship. As far as the brand new looking undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Yikers. And there goes my dreams of a modernized wing eagle championship in WWE. Uh, a man can dream as always, but that's going to conclude the mid card segment of episode 365 of the YLP podcast. When we come back, it will be time for the main eventual segment of this week's episode. And we're going to be talking about all things G1 as it was unrevealed. The 32 names of this year's tournament have been announced. Who are they? We'll talk about every single one of them on the other side of episode 365 of the YLP podcast. Stay tuned. Y'all don't want to miss this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, y'all know what time it is. It is time for the main event segment episode 365 of the YLP podcast and we have the wonderful privilege of discussing personally one of my favorite times of the year hasn't started yet but it will be in just a couple I actually believe next month uh, actually goes down and for those who may not know who haven't been around for almost five years that this podcast has been around. If this is your first soiree, first and foremost, welcome to the YLP realm. I hope you enjoy your stay. We do have nice complimentary uh, tea, coffee, and donuts and cookies and such uh, for you as you walk into the YLP realm to uh, allow you to enjoy your stay as long as you like. And for those of you who have been around, y'all know what I'm about to talk about. If you don't, well, it'll be called the title in a second. So um, this is kind of like my ode, in a sense, to the G1 Climax Tournament. What is the G1 Climax Tournament, you ask? Mr. YLP, well, I'm glad you actually asked. This is one of my, this is honestly my favorite time of year. I know the summertime is huge, and I'm beating the crap out of my mic right now to fix my pot filter. Don't mind me. But the G1 Climax is a very special place in my heart, if we're being brutally honest. The G1 Climax Tournament, in New Japan for that matter, to be for, for being brutally honest, is the reason I fell in love with professional wrestling 
this was May 2016, I want to say. I'm trying to think of when I started getting into New Japan because I was right around the time I was living in Myrtle Beach. So I want to say around 2015, 2016. So either one of those, either whatever one of those years, we'll figure it. We'll figure it out all later. Anyway. AJ Styles had just won the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship over Kazuchika Okada. Uh, I knew nothing about Okada, but I sure as fuck knew about AJ Styles. And when I found out about that, I had to see what was really good. So I actually watched the entire Dominion show. And I was basically waiting for AJ to beat Okada because I already knew he won. But watching that pay-per-view and watching that show itself, uh, shout out to Daily Motion for having that posted at the time. Appreciate you, bruv. Um, Without finding out AJ Styles beat Okada, I never would have fell in love with professional wrestling again. The YLP podcast would actually never be a thing. Me becoming a podcaster in the first place would have never become a thing. So if anything, the G1 Climax is a very, very special place in my heart, which is why I'm probably gonna be titling this segment, my, uh, my ode to the G1 Climax, because because again, this is the tournament that made me fall in love with professional wrestling again. Now, for those of you who may not know about the G1 Climax, the G1 Climax is basically the Royal Rumble. If it was for a month and you had to pretty much fight for your right to get into a final, which would be technically the final two in a Royal Rumble, and then win said championship. And now since the modern version had to defend your right to be in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom twice. Yeah, you take the Royal Rumble real fucking quick, but it is a, a an amazing war of attrition that goes on for an entire month. Um, now, currently, and but in the beginning, really wasn't like that. Uh, now, for, now I have Wikipedia pulled up because I don't remember jack shit uh, when it comes to professional wrestling history, so Wikipedia does help at times. Now, NJPW uh, started this entire thing back in '74. Uh, they called it the World League at the time. Uh, there was also the IWGP League, the NMSG League, and then the uh, governing body of NJPW um, turned it into the World Cup Tournament. But uh, you may know the name Antonio Inoki, former WWE champion, even though they don't recognize him. But he pretty much was the World League. It was an annual tournament. You know, from uh, this is from uh, Wikipedia, so I'm going to read that from there. NGPW had an annual tournament since 74 under various names with the World League, uh, based on the World League tournament from the old Japanese Wrestling Association held between 1959 and 72. The MSG League, the IWGP League, and uh, most of these uh, tournaments were dominated by one, the founder, the top star himself, Antonio Inoki. Uh, Hulk Hogan actually won it in 83, was awarded a championship, which was crazy when I first actually read this for the first time uh, a couple years ago when I started talking about the G1. Now, it wasn't the beginning of the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, uh, but its early version that was defended annually against the winner of the IWGP League of that year. So the early version would be IWGP champion, heavyweight champion would face the winner of the IWGP League. Nice, nice. All good things. And then in 89, there was a World Cup tournament, which included wrestlers from the then Soviet Union. None was held in 90, 
And with Antonio's and Inoki's dominance over NJBW gone, the promotion established the G1 Climax Tournament in 1991 as a platform to showcase the company's top heavyweights and have them compete in round-robin matches where the winners of the two divisions would then square off in the tournament final. NJPW's then-present Seiji Sakaguchi named the tournament after the G1 Horse Race. I believe that is a humongo horse race in Japan or something of that nature. Yeah. I don't know why I know these things. I just do. I watch random TV when I was a child at, you know, 2.30 in the morning as a teenager, and I saw random shit. Australian football, man, is a very wonderful sport to watch. I digress. Now, through a considered, uh, though considered a continuation of the previous tournaments, officially, NJPW does not recognize the earlier tournaments as part of the G1 Climax and lineage. The first one was held in August of 91 for four days. The winner of the tournament, assuming they are not already the champion, has traditionally earned a shot at the IWGP heavyweight title. Now, this is the fun part, I think, in terms of the G1 Climax. Now, since 2012, the winner has earned the Tokyo Dome IWGP Heavyweight Championship Challenge Right Certificate. Very long, but it's pretty much like, think of it as like money in the bank, but you already know you're going to cash it in at uh, Wrestle Kingdom in January. Now, uh, yeah, contract for the title shot at the uh, at Wrestle Kingdom in Tokyo Dome uh, held annually, of course, on January 4th. Uh, now, yeah, and it even says, much like WWE's Money in the Bank contract, the certificate is kept in a briefcase that the wrestler has then has, the, has to defend until the end of the year. Now, this is the part that messes with a lot of people. Um, as far as I know, it's, I think the contract has only changed hands once. As far as I know. And that was, yeah, and I'm looking at it. Yep. Since its inception, the contract has only changed hands one time. Uh, November 7th, 2020 at Power Struggle when Jay White defeated Kota Ibushi. That was wild because I was just like, wait, they never, that never happens. What? <laughs> it was crazy. Hmm. Now, in 2021, the now retired IWGP Heavyweight Championship uh, belt was given to the G1 winner, Kazuchika Okada, instead of a briefcase. That was a random thing. That was about it. That was the only time they actually did that bit. In 2015, the tournament format was changed with NJPW, reducing the number of G1 uh, Climax matches per show, giving the participating wrestlers more time to rest between matches. Because um, this entire tournament is literally a month. A month. Now, think about that. Nine. You have nine matches within a month to just win your block. And then... Semi-final, I believe, uh, is it, I, believe, I think it's semi-finals, and then final. Whew. But the thing about the G1 Climax Tournament and all of that is basically the matchups you could possibly get. And the star-making moments you can have. Um, when I think of star-making tournaments, I think of Hangman Page. Uh, who believe, I believe, yeah, he competed in the tournament a couple years ago. I think without that his performance in that tournament, Hangman Page wouldn't be Hangman Page. That's just my opinion. I'm sure there were different moments where you believed, you know, Hangman Page had a star-making moment, at least to me. Hangman Page became Hangman Page when he entered the G1. Now, the G1 itself is grade one, um, usually featuring the top 20 heavyweights NGPW uh, has within the company. As far as this go around, they're going to have a lot more. But I want to give you kind of like an idea of who's won this tournament. If you've already known the history, don't shock. Don't knock, don't knock me for it. But 
for the newbies who may be in uh, entering the realm of wanting to check out G1, the G1 Climax for the very first time, let me just give you some of the names of the winners. Antonio Inoki has won this one. Andre the Giant has won it in 82. Hulk Hogan won it in 83. Andre then won it again in 85. Antonio Inoki pretty much was just running shit from 74 through the year I was born in 88. He's won 10 of them. He won 10 of them things. Although G1 is not recognized in Oki as that. But uh, let me see. Masahiro Chono, for those of y'all who are, love you, some NWO, John. Tatsumi Fujinami, the retired KG Mudo. Ricky Choshu. Let me see. Manabu Nakanishi. Love that dude. Yuji Nagata's won it. Uh, Hiroshi Tenzan. Hiroki Goto's won it, which was interesting one when I finally figured that out. Um, Kojima. Satoshi Kojima. Togi Makabe. Shinsuke Nakamura has won this one. Kazuchiko Okada has won this about four times. I didn't even realize he won it back-to-back. Holy shit. Uh, Kota Ibushi has won it twice back-to-back years. Was the first one to win it back-to-back, I think, you know, in some time. Or ever. Tanaha- uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi has won three of them, thanks. Kenny Omega is the only... In terms of G1 Climax, is the only non-Japanese winner in the entire history. But he earned that shit. Tetsuya Naito has won it. But yeah, I mean, a, a, a who's who in terms of Japanese wrestling. Now, as we head over to F4WOnline.com, NJBW decided to just say, you know what? 20 is not enough. Let's do 32. Yes, they are going to be inviting 32 wrestlers to join this tournament. I'm not even going to go through any of the crazy stuff. I just want to know who's in this tournament. I think they have it. So here are the 32 participants in this year's tournament. Begins on July 15th and runs through August 13th with the winner essentially at this very, at that very moment on that day, Earn the right to be in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. Think of it as that. Like, this is going to be a months long, well, 28, 29 days technically, of attrition. Winner receiving, at least at the moment, a guaranteed main event spot in Wrestle Kingdom. I believe 18 they're doing this time around. Jeez. So it goes a little something like this Kazuchika Okada, Tetsuya Naito. Sonata, the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Will Ospreay, current number one contender of the IWGP United States Championship, and will face Omega at Forbidden Door 2. Y'all already know what time it is. Hiroshi Tanahashi, David Finley, Shota Umino. Uh, This would be John Moxley's kind of like young boy shooter. Uh, introduced, actually, by John Moxley when he was in the, I believe he was in the G1. I could be wrong. Shingo Takagi, Tomohiro Ishii, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, Hikaleo, Hiroki Goto, Yoshihashi, Toruyano, Kenta, Zack Sabre Jr., Tai Chi, Eddie Kingston, Wildcard, El Phantasmo, surprisingly Wildcard, Ren Narita, Young Boy earning this shit, Evil. Chase Owens, Jeff Cobb, Great O'Conn, Aaron Hanare, Gabriel Kidd, Alex Coughlin, Shane Haste, Mickey Nichols. Uh, y'all remember them, I believe, is um, TM61. 
Yotasuji, Kato Kiyomiya. Now, Kiyomiya-san is actually from Pro Wrestling Noah, former GHC heavyweight champion, if I'm not mistaken. Had some bangers against Nakajima and, uh, damn, was it Keno? Kino? I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that, but it's one of those two pronunciations. Uh, so I'm very surprised they have him in this tournament. Now, again, or do we, do we have more? Or am I missing a few? Nope, that's, that's the list there. That apparently is the list. So usually G1 Climax would be 20 of the top heavyweights. Uh, now, I think it, with this go around, since we're gonna, just going to do simple math, 32 divided by 8 guys, you have 4 blocks. So it goes a little something like this. With your 8, the eight competitors you have in your block, you have 7 matches. I believe 2 points for a win, 1 for a tie, or if it goes to a draw, and 0 for a loss. You don't want to lose. A lot of people are going to lose. But, so after your seven matches, winner, I believe they usually did it as the two with the most. Two from each block um, would move on to the semifinals. Um, block A's second place person from block A would face the first person, first place from block B. And first place would face second place. Vice versa, pretty much. Then you have your semifinals and then you have your G1 Climax final. This makes it a lot easier because you're pretty much going to have a guaranteed semifinals. Top guy from your block faces off uh, A block versus D block, B block versus C block. Semi-winners of those two matches then meet in the G1 Climax final. You'll have your winner then and there. Of course, uh, I mean, through looking at the list, you have your, you know, your usual characters, Okada, Naito, Tanahashi. Um, Takagi's now pretty much a mainstay. Ishii's been a mainstay. Ishii's like the vet. Ishii's like your Dolph Ziggler. If if I could compare Ishii in terms of role now in WWE, he is the veteran. Your gatekeeper. Like, but Ishii can put on a banger if he needs to. Go back. If you ever want to watch Ishii, I-S uh Tomohiro T-O-M-O-H-I-R-O. Uh, Ishii I-S-H-I-I. Ishii. He reminds me of a Dolph Ziggler in terms of role he plays in the company. Current uh, never open weight six man tag team champion right now with Okada and Tanahashi, so he's playing his character very. He's doing his thing, but the man can put on a banger. If you ever want to think of like a banger, if you want to think of a match, I think that should open you up to New Japan. Tomohiro Ishii versus Minoru Suzuki would be mine. Personally, I think that is a very good opening salvo into New Japan. You can go Styles Okada, you can go Omega Okada if you wanted to, you know, just kind of give you an idea of like the best of NJPW. But I think an Ishii Suzuki match will kind of give you an idea of what strong style really is. Excuse me. I think that would be a, a very nice opening, you know, a nice little appetizer. For what is to come with New Japan. I honestly believe. Um, if you have the means to do so. NJPWworld.com. It's like seven bucks. Uh, when you convert it to. Um, from yen to dollars. It's like seven bucks. Every month. If you can swing it. I would suggest watching G1 Climax. Not because I love it. Not because you you know yours truly loves this shit. But. Again. Like. This is the reason I do this shit. The G1 Climax is the reason I talk wrestling in the first place. Without G1, 
I'm not sure what I would be doing. I really don't. It means that much to me. To have out of nowhere just saw random a random bit of news. AJ Styles becomes IWGP heavyweight champion. Beating this guy I never even knew before in Kazuchika Okada. I know who he is now, and that motherfucker can go. All right. But AJ, when you know AJ Styles, you know, that's impact lore. That's, you know, the stuff I used to watch when I was a teenager. You know, every Friday after school, you know, I get home, throw my bag down, not even give a damn about what happened. I don't have that much homework. We'll watch telly, we'll watch the uh, impact wrestling. You know, before we watch Iron Chef, you know, later on that night at 8 p.m. For those, if you know, you know. If you don't, it's chill. It's all good. But watching Dominion, seeing that card, seeing those, seeing those matches, you know, just being introduced to what Strong Style really was, being introduced to an event that I never would think possible. You know what I'm saying? Block matches, you know, a whole month's worth. Unfathomable to me. But I enjoyed it. It was my it was my happy place. It was my sanctuary. It was everything I wanted it to be. In terms of what I believe wrestling should be. Now we got we got we got Multiple companies, hundreds of companies around the world, independent or mainstream, that we get here. But for some reason, NJPW, to me, holds a very special place in my heart for reasons I've discussed already before. But the tournament itself is what really caught my eye. You got, of course, Dominion's great. Dominion's always a good time. That's kind of like their SummerSlam. Wrestle Kingdom's your WrestleMania. Uh, Survivor Series, I really don't have an idea for that. Unless you want to go to like World Tag League, if you want to think of, if you think of it in the old school way of like tag matches and whatever, World Tag League and uh, best, of, uh, best of Super Junior Tag Junior Tag League, I believe they call it. I'm not. I mine slips me at times when it comes to NGPW because they have a lot going on. But from Dominion to G1, I literally tried to follow it as best as I could. I didn't have NJPW World, um, but there was Daily Emotion. Uh, so what to catch to watch shows? I would try to like figure out the results, and then I'd go watch it. You know, when I had my off time or whatever. Always a good time. I watched it on Saturday, on uh, Sunday mornings when I didn't have to work. It was nice, quiet, making breakfast. You know, me and my roommates, and I'd be watching it. And my buddy, <laughs> shout out to my boy Jake. One time, I remember him catching me actually watching it, and he's just like, dude. It's Japanese. How can you like, you know, they're speaking Japanese. How can you understand this? And I'm just, and I remember saying out loud, it doesn't matter the language. Professional wrestling is a language all its own. And that was probably the most profound thing I said up to that, you know, in my life up to that point, because professional wrestling to me is a language. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you speak Japanese, English, you know, German, shout out to WXW, you know, doesn't matter anywhere in the world, dude. Professional wrestling is a love language into itself. Professional wrestling to me is a language because you get to learn it. You, you, it's like a language, you know, when you're learning a new language, you watch it, you know, especially if you have a little, you know, cognates, uh, as I learned in French class, you know, things that, you know, kind of mean the term already, like chocolat means chocolate, you know, un bicyclette, bicycle, 
you know, something that you can kind of grasp onto. Like, you know, them doing, you know, Lucha Libre moves and stuff pretty much you like you see, but you're learning a new side of professional wrestling. Strong style comes from two countries. Well, one region, one country. Japan, UK. That is strong style at its finest. Names have been made in this tournament. Hangman Page. Like, let me see if I can find, you know, participants. I gave you winners, you know. But there's a there has been many participants in G1. Especially when like Ring of Honor started going over there, Young Bucks was doing a thing. And I'm trying to think of a time like when when ROH was really heavy in NJPW. Just want to see. Because there were some good ones. Yeah, not, yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, Nayamichi Mirafuji was in a tournament. For y'all, Mary Fuji fans out there, Bad Luck Fale was in a tournament. I'm trying to I'm trying to see history here. Cause I know I'm trying to think because I know Paige was in one. Who else was in one? Yeah, this. Yeah, I was there. So, yeah, around G1 Climax 26 was kind of like around the time when Ring of Honor was kind of doing a thing over there. See, yeah, Jay Lethal defended a championship during the tournament. Insane. Katsuyori Shibata, Ring of Honor World Television Champion, was in there. Michael Elgin in there. Kenny Omega, Yoshihashi, Katsuhiko Nakajima from uh, Pro Wrestling Noah was there. I'm just trying to see one where they had a lot more Gaijin outsiders. Do, do, do. Was it 25? It'll take me forever if I try to figure this out. Maybe if I check it out. Let's see. Because when I started to watch the Dennis John here, 2018. Yeah, Zack Sabre Jr. has been in one. Juice Robinson's been in one, by the way. Kota Ibushi, Jay White, Minoru Suzuki. I'm trying to think of seeing new names. 16. Was Styles in one? Yes, he was. 2015. He was in one. Carl Anderson was in one. I uh, I think kind of Bullet Club around that time going on there. Doc Gallows was in it. Yeah, because Bullet Club was already a thing. Yeah, he was in it. And Gallows and Styles had to face each other. That's the thing about G1 too. You know, over in Japan, was especially with uh, NGPW, with New Japan, stables are more of a thing. So you'll be... Like, there are stables in the U.S., but there's only, like, a few guys. I'm talking, like, they got guy, like, Los Ingramos de, uh, de Japón has about five, I think. Five or six, as I know. Salada, Salada bounced. Yoda Suji joined uh, L.I.J. in the place of Sonata. Unsuccessfully faced Sonata to get the championship back to L.I.J. Then you have Chaos, which is, like, Okada, Ishii, and all, and all that. Bullet Club. So it's more stable-driven. In New Japan, as opposed to U.S., where you got singles and then you got your tag, but then you don't have your like your stables, whatever. But there's a who, yeah, there's been a who's who on here. Uh, Shelton Benjamin has been in one. Davy Boy Smith Jr. has been in one. Lance Archer, of course, our boy Shinsuke. We love Shinsuke. 
at least over here. Yuji Nagata. See who else? Yeah, Finn Balor's been in one. Prince as Prince Devitt, which is ah, you love to see it. MVP's been in one. Actually, the first ever IWGP Intercontinental Champion as well. I'm just throwing out facts at this point. But yeah, I mean, let me see. Under 2019? Was it? No, boo. So many links you have to go to for no reason at all. Nonsense. Nonsense. Does one know who was in it in 2019? Jeez. Yeah, uh, yeah Moxie's been in one. Yeah, Moxie's been in that tournament. Jeff Cobb, of course. New mainstay. Kenta. Will Ospreay's been... Uh, Will Ospreay? <laughs> Will Ospreay's been in one? Yeah, he has. Yes, he has. Holy shit. 2019. Surprising I forget. But yeah, there's been a there's been a good amount of like talent that has been in this tournament. I think the G1 Climax is a tournament every person in the planet should watch at least once as best as they possibly can, because it is a month long and we have lives. I understand that. But a G1 Climax semifinal and final, I think is just something to behold. I think to me, the G1 is a wonderful story. It followed as best as we possibly can, leading up to two semifinals that will capture the eye and a final where two men will battle to be to earn the right to, at least in that moment, have a guaranteed spot in the main event of New Japan's biggest show of the year. I don't think it gets any better than that. Because it's a tournament where you have to go through your entire block. And then fight two more matches if you so win, to earn that right. That is why I think the G1 Climax is the best tournament in all of professional wrestling. I'm sure you'll have your favorites, and that's perfectly fine. I don't judge. No need to. Especially with tournaments. So many. But the G1 Climax is mine. It's a, that's a very, it has a little but special place in my heart. Without it, the YLB podcast would not be a thing. That's that's the truth. That's that's not like, that is the one hundred percent truth. The G one climax made me a fan of professional wrestling again, because for the longest time before that, I had just been so fixated on Impact and WWE. So I never really, really branched out outside of the United States, North America section of it. I didn't really know much about AAA, even though it just came on Saturdays randomly on Telemundo, which was great. But I never really got into an outside organization other than like WWE, Impact, ECW, all of that. You know, when it came to, you know, looking outside of America for wrestling in and of itself. The G1 Climax gave me that. Dominion technically opened the door. But the G1 Climax really was the thing that said, we're here for you. You're not, you're not feeling the WWE thing, John Cena, do, 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 do. We got something different. 
it's my it's my style of wrestling. You see it every now. You see it in WWE a, a lot more, especially with NXT UK when it branched out. But I got it on a consistent basis with New Japan Pro Wrestling, especially with the G1 Climax. It's a love story of its own. We all, you know, you have your significant other and all that stuff. But the G1 to me is, will forever be a mistress. <laughs> this is going to sound so fucked up. It's, it's nowhere near a side check, but like it is, it is the wonderful mistress that you get to be around whenever you feel like. And there's no judgment on any end because it's wrestling. New Japan gave me a reason to have a different perspective of what wrestling is. The G1 Climax gave me the thought of just like, this is what we offer to the masses here in New Japan. A month-long tournament to earn a shot at a championship match that is literally what? Like four months away, four or five months away? And on top of that, oh, sorry to say it, bro. Oh, yeah, you thought the road was just going to be sweet. No, you're going to have to defend that spot. You're going to have to defend defend that battle rights certificate at least twice before you get to January 4th of the next year. So whoever wins this year's G1 Climax, I'll probably... When we get closer to it, maybe I'll make a prediction as to who I think will win the damn thing if they decide to do blocks or whatever, but we'll see. But I would say go out of your way to get NGPWworld.com if you don't have it. Again, it's like seven bucks, if I'm not mistaken. I would say watch as much of it as you can. Not only you can go watch it, you can actually watch back on former G1s and see how they got down. I'm just saying, you know, it's it's one of those really it's, it's it's a cool thing to me. It's a cool thing this tournament. It's a fun tournament. Stars can be made in this tournament. I mean, Alex Coughlin, Shudo, you know, Shota Umina, Clark Connor, I think Clark Connor is no. But you know, it has established names in this tournament. It has your one outsider actually, and uh, Kiyo Miyasan. You know, AEW is going to be involved. You know, junior, you know, the juniors are stepping up and getting the spots. I don't know how they pulled that off, but I guess, you know, with 32, you got to fill it with junior heavyweight somehow. Anywho, it is a wonderful, fantastic mix of veterans, newcomers, established names coming outside of the, uh, from outside of the fold being brought in or just, you know, guys from the U.S. and anywhere else in the world. They're just, you know, outsiders nonetheless. But that's what G1 does. That's what the G1 Climax is. I hope I, and I I try to say this almost every year that I've uh, discussed this at length. I hope I did my very best to explain to you exactly what the G1 Climax is as a whole and what it means to me. This one is is a special one for me, personally. It is a special tournament. It is the only one that I know of that's anywhere in the world. 
I think they yeah the close the closest dope one to me that would be going is a uh, you know sixteen karat gold tournament for WXW where they have sixteen but in a regular tournament fashion. This is round robin. This is just you got to fight, and there there will be some things that will happen. Stars will be made. Name established names will be you know established yet yeah, once again. But as long as Toroyano is in his own bitch, he's gonna roll up somebody for a three count. Ask John Moxley, Moxley, he'll tell you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is gonna conclude episode 365 of the YLP podcast. When we come back, we're gonna close out the show in proper YLP fashion and get you ready for episode 366 of the YLP podcast. We'll be right back. Well, guys, that's going to be it for episode 365 of the YLP podcast. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day, your night, your afternoon, and your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. And as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. Like we said at the beginning of the program, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, opinions, or about anything I talked about, on this week's episode or any of the other 364 episodes of the YLP podcast, do not hesitate. And I mean, don't, hes- just don't. If you're feeling it, head over to podcasters.spotify.com slash perspective and leave me a voice message. Tell me what, what you're on your mind, what you're thinking. What are you thinking about the G1? What do you think of my ode to the G1? What do you think of, you know, talking about Iron Sheik? Did I miss anything? Anything at all. Leave a voice message over there. I'd love to hear your input. Just be family. All dialogue is good. Helps expand the conversation just a tad bit. Or you can head over to podcasters.spotify.com slash Radio. You can do the same thing over there. You can also be able to email over at younglionsperspective at gmail.com. Now, if you want to follow me on social media, you can hit me up on Twitter at YLPerspective and over on Instagram at younglions, young underscore lions underscore perspective. Um, with Facebook, um, no, got hacked, and I decided to delete it. So for the time being, there is no Young Lions Perspective podcast on Facebook, but um, still got Twitter and I still got Instagram. So just want to let y'all know that all those good things. But you can also find this podcast, of course, on ambiguouspodcastsolution.com. Shout out one time to Will Tara Shook, uh, the founder owner. APS. So shout out to him one time for putting us on there. Spotify, of course. Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Next week, next Saturday on the YLP Podcast, of course, more news. We got more news. You know, I believe it's the week. It's the go home show before uh, Forbidden Door. So we got that going down. <laughs> Excuse me. And then the week after that, uh, we pretty much have to get prepared for what money in the bank so it's gonna be a big week so i'm not sure you know how predictions are i gotta check the results and check to see where i'm at but yeah the next couple of yeah but uh in a couple weeks we're gonna have a sunday saturday action of predictions and i'm trying to think if i want to do a prediction show not next saturday but the week in two weeks time 
on the 24th and just do a Money in the Bank and Forbidden Door 2 prediction show. So that way we can just do news for July 1st and you don't have to worry about predictions then. We'll figure it out. Let me know what you're thinking about that. But until then, guys, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a fantastic weekend. I'll see you guys right back here next Saturday for episode 366 of the YLP Podcast. See you. This has been a Wrestle Attic Radio branded podcast.